0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This week brought breaking news that Bernie Madoff, architect of the biggest Ponzi scheme in history, died in prison at age 82. I spoke about the historic scheme with Oscar winning actor Richard Dreyfus, who played Bernie Madoff in the ABC miniseries Madoff. Enjoy. Mr. Dreyfus, thanks so much for taking the time to come on WTOP. It's a pleasure.
1: Fun. It'll be fun.
0: Awesome. Well, obviously, we're here to talk uh, Madoff. You're playing Bernie Madoff here. It's a TV miniseries on ABC. Man, this has uh, become such a, a hot topic lately. Not only with the Big Short out in Hollywood, you know, uh, Wall Street's all the rage and looking at the corruption of it.
1: Yeah, it's been. Um, it's actually been timely for months and years uh, in the past, but now the stars have aligned so blatantly that people really would have to work hard to ignore it.
0: Yeah, I guess greed has been, quote, good for a couple decades now. But, yeah, the stars are aligning. Talk about, um, you know, obviously Bernie Madoff, his Ponzi scheme, I think, you know, ripped off $65 billion from unsuspecting victims. Um, how do you flip the switch in your mind and play someone, you know, that has so little disregard for others? Is it like the third man, Orson Wells up on the fairs wheel looking at people as dots below? Or, you know, how do you get into that mindset where you just have disregard for everyone else?
1: Well, wouldn't it be funny? um only nice actors played nice guys <laughs> and only rotten actors played rotten guys <laughs> you have a you'd have a, a a hole in the wall somewhere and um it's the actor's obligation to find what he's got to find and play it convincingly so it's not my problem it's the audience's problem <laughs> you know Fifty years from now, no one's going to know or be interested in my politics. They're only going to be interested in how well I do the part.
0: Well, how did how did you tap into that that side of of Bernie, and yet still humanize him for for us that are watching him and see him as a real person?
1: Well, my theory is really simple: that inside of us um, is Bernie and Satan and. And Jesus, and you have to find the appropriate, um, the comparable um, amount of of uh, Bernie inside of you already, and you can usually find it if you're honest with yourself whenever you think about going into traffic, because when (laughs) you're in traffic, you know some guy cuts you off and you start screaming, "Bloody murder! How dare you!" I got kids in the car for crying out loud! You endangered my children, you son of a! <laughs> and then you realize that you've yelled so long you're missing your exit, and you cut across three lanes of traffic, and they everyone starts honking at you, and you say, "What's the matter? Give me a break! Come on! I just I just had to get out of here," <laughs> and all of a sudden, in one interchange, in one exchange, you're both Bernie and Jesus. And you've got to find the appropriateness and bring it out and make it fit. And there's no such thing as a perfect person. Ye gods, (laughs) there's no such thing. (laughs) And uh, actors just have to be honest with themselves in order to bring out the right and most appropriate feeling to fit the character they're playing. It doesn't mean you have to wink at the audience or anything. You just have to know how to apply what you know about yourself and make it apply to the character.
0: When you were, you know, obviously we'd all heard of of his, you know, crime and everything in the newspapers and on TV, but um, what is there anything that you sort of – in delving into the role and researching it, that you discovered about the man that maybe was different than your perception of him having just read in the newspapers?
1: Um, When I first uh, started in on this character, I assumed that I was going to find certain likable characteristics and qualities and that I could empathize with him about those things. And I found out that there really weren't. He was a done deal. <laughs> he was already baked and ready to be wrapped. He just uh, waited for the appropriate moment and he skipped across the line very comfortably. And whereas most other Ponzi schemes lasted for one fiftieth the amount of time that his did, uh, he was able to say later on, my Ponzi scheme lasted for 40 years, and aside for the money spent on making it look and feel real, uh, he spent that money on himself. Yeah. And he he had no problem in just canvassing around and, and finding not really likable qualities, but the qualities you need to be a good con man. And that meant you had to reassure your clients to be that you were comfy and, and uh, fun to be with and smart, just like uncle Bernie should be (laughs) not knowing, or at least the clients not knowing that the next move was going to have you sign your name to a dotted line, which was the equivalent of slitting your own throat. Right. And it, it was a fun challenge for him. Interesting. In my opinion, Ruth Madoff and the boys didn't know squat about what he was doing as a criminal.
0: Oh, uh, okay. They knew the personal side, but didn't know all the ins and outs of the scheme.
1: Yeah, the personal side was that he was a very loving father who ruled with a firm hand. He was a very loving husband who loved her from the time he was 16 years old. And so you see that throughout the piece. And that's what you that's what you'd expect to see in any family like mine. I grew up in the same little area that he did. You know, we're both from Bayside, and although he lived there about five or six years after I did, uh, he and I probably knew the same people and hung out with the same guys. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's why I feel as strongly as I do that he does... That, that, uh, that they didn't know. You know, I can imagine. Where were you? Where were you raised?
0: I was raised in Frederick, Maryland, not far from DC. Frederick, Maryland. It it was just like American graffiti, except it was 1984 instead of where were you in '62?
1: <laughs> yeah. And what? where? And what did your father do? Uh, he was a carpenter. And uh, were you ever tempted to say to your father, "I don't believe you're a carpenter. What do you really do?"
0: <laughs> no, I always no. believed it.
1: No. Yeah. Yeah. You always did. And because he was your dad. Exactly. And that's exactly how Ruth felt and how the boys felt. Interesting. And you'd be shocked out of your skin to find out otherwise. Very true. And that's the way we were all raised. If your father said such and such, you went for it, you bought it.
0: Yeah, you mentioned fathers. I know we're. I know we're really we're up against the clock, so this will probably have to be our our bow out. But uh, before we go, you mentioned fathers, and to me, I just man the great father role you played in Close Encounters just still echoes all these years later with the mashed potato mountain and everything else. And then I mean, you're also in Jaws, and Roy Scheider has the great father figure with the great scene folding his fingers and all. You know, I mean, you've been a part of some great uh, father presentation movies.
1: Yeah, and all the characters that I played that had fathers in them that were made before 1982 were all practice. <laughs> and I and I mean, consciously, I was practicing being a good father. Just had to wait for having children.
0: Does that mean your other father roles after that, like Dr. Leo Marvin, were <laughs> shaped off of a little of having done it in real life?
1: Well, I guess, it, yeah, they were informed by it. But um, like fatherhood, there's constant surprises. And you can't have it your own way. My daughter, who is the proverbial apple in my eye, um, called me once when she was in her early 20s. And she said, Dad, do you remember that time when I didn't think you had any authority over me and I didn't respect you and I didn't listen to you and I thought you, you know, were... A, the silly man. And I said, yes, I do remember that. And she said, well, I just realized you were, I was wrong. (laughs) And I, I I listened. And then she said, anyway, about going to Thanksgiving. And I said, hold it, hold it, hold it. You're not going to get off the subject that quickly (laughs) because one apology doesn't make up for 10 years of hell. Right. So I, I made her detail her apology a little bit more, and I said, "One day, you're, you know, when you have kids, you're going to see your wonderful child or children. At the uh, moment you turn, let's say, thirteen or fourteen, they aliens will come down and leave a robot in <laughs> place and take your kid. <laughs> you <would> and, know, <laughs> and that." alien is programmed just to irritate and you'll know what it's like and that's you know that's probably exactly what's going to happen anyway listen I gotta go
0: yeah thanks so much for diving into that analogy right there with the fathers that was unexpected but awesome thank you sir Okay. thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a 5 star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time